the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Team of Detroit, hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Gretch. Throw those buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw those buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Come on. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no roles. At Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we gonna take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Uh-oh. Big Gretch got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Gretch with the bucks on on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw them bucks on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the bust on her face. Cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Big Gretch. Like a raccoon with OCD 
I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, and I'm sick of what I see. Of quarantine will be the death of me. The death of me. I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy TV and a few things more. But when I get there, all I can find. Sixteen honey buns and some mad dog wine. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors 'cause I'm sick of what I see. Of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over, like "Yes, dear, yes, dear." At breakfast, I meant to say, "Honey, please pass me the pepper." Well, what slipped out was, "You crazy woman, you've ruined my life." <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> Soon as I regained consciousness. The time summer. Program.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a New York Times best-selling author and award-winning journalist, and um, and also the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. But he's joining me this morning to talk about his newest book called The Devil's Dictionary, which is a unique blend of eco-fiction and traditional cyberpunk. And we'll find out what that all means from the uh, author himself, Stephen Kotler, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. It's good to be with you. Um. Let me let me ask you a, a, a couple things, and you can go wherever you want with it. Um, first of all, I'm not familiar with the phrase cyberpunk. I probably should be, but I'm not. And also, um, I get the impression that in cyberpunk, the genre is typically set in dystopian settings where yours is not. Can you so, sort that all out for me? Out, let me sort this out for you. I should have never let them put the term cyberpunk in the press release. <laughs> I'm dating myself with that term. So the term dates to like the early 1990s. 
it was applied to movies like the original Blade Runner and uh, authors like Neil Stevenson, yeah. uh, Neil and in the beginning, uh, William Gibson is the, is the famous cyberpunk author. And all it means is near-term future sci-fi, usually set on Earth, so you're not 100, 200,000 years into the future and you're not in spaceships, in, you're set on Earth. And cyberpunk, it's got this edgy title. It was basically, cyberpunk writers were doing near-term future sci-fi with kind of a noir detective vibe. So like that Raymond Chandler kind of yeah. vibe. Yeah. That's what cyber, all cyberpunk is, is like this genre of near-term future sci-fi that's sort of got like a hard-boiled detective fiction edge. And yeah, it, traditionally, it is cyberpunk is sort of a dystopian genre. I broke that mold um, and have, have been trying to write, I don't want to say m- super optimistic, but a little more hopeful cyberpunk, let's just say. Well, that's the thing I find the most interesting, and and you make a point to um, talk about, uh, um, well, I I mentioned the phrase eco-fiction, but um, issues of climate change come up in a lot of your writing. I have worked on environmental issues for a long time, actively, like, you know, started started some business that that, that work in those genres. I, my wife and I have operated a animal sanctuary for, for decades, um, and um, and I covered the issues as a reporter. This what's different about uh, Devil Dictionary, the new book, is climate fiction or environmental fiction is another. These are very dystopian novels, as a general rule, right? Like the environment has melted down, and they set a story in the apocalyptic future that remains. And in, in Devil's Dictionary, I wanted to imagine a world. I'm a big believer that if you can't imagine something, you can't create it. So I wanted to imagine a world where the biggest environmental challenges that we now face, species die-off and climate change, had been solved. And it, I didn't want a perfect utopian novel, right? I wanted, you know, our world 15, 20 years hence, and the major difference was that we'd solve these environmental challenges, and I just wanted to know what kind of shifts in society, in our psychology, in our culture, in our technology would have to occur for this world to exist. And that's sort of what The Devil's Dictionary is about. Well, and, and, that's, and that's one of the things that's really fun about it, Stephen, because the dystopian take on climate change is sort of the natural outcome of the doomers of the last 20 or 30 years. You know, the people said... Oh, yeah, you, just as a random, I was re- I've been reading Lauren Isley. Lauren Isley is a name nobody talks about anymore, but he was one of the great sort of environmental writers of the 20th century. He wrote in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And, oh, my God, it's the most depressing doom and gloom stuff I've ever read. And this was back, you know, at the start of it. So it's, it's longer than 20 years. I was shocked by how dark it is. Yeah. And, and, and if, you, if you listen to the Doomers from 25-plus years ago, it, it just seemed we were inevitably going to run out of oil. We were going to... Um, uh, you know, climate change uh, because of our carbon footprints was going to raise uh, the the temperature of the planet, lower the level of the sea. All of these these things were going to happen, and they are happening 
in little bits and pieces. But even without the kind of sweeping governmental change that people think it's going to take, the free market is reacting to people yeah. a and little you're, bit. You're, you're preaching to the choir. One of the things I've been pointing out, because I've been, I've been having a lot of conversations about the devil's dictionary, and a lot of people want to come at me about like being a little more optimistic about the environment. And my background on the environmental stuff is really about applying accelerating disruptive technologies, whether you're talking artificial intelligence or vertical farming or any sure. of these things, to problems of two environmental challenges. And on this front, this past year, we saw over a trillion dollars of investment into green energy. It's the very first time in history we've had a trillion dollars in one investment category in a year anywhere, and it's all in green energy. And that's um, because the, the businesses know that that's what their customers want, and so they're making changes in that and direction. It's also, I'll give you another example. Well, I, I want to squeeze something in here because I, uh, I, I want to get you to speculate on this. I've been of the impression that because of these changes and, and the, the investiture that you just mentioned, um, and, and I heard a, a news piece early today or, or yesterday that uh, one car company is predicting that half of the automobiles on the road will be electric by 2030. That's eight years away. Oh, yeah. Well, that, so that's like right now. Yeah, well, I mean, so electric car growth, We wrote, I wrote about this in two of my books, both Bold and uh, Abundance talk about this. Electric car growth has been on an exponential car growth curve, which means it doubles every roughly 18 months. And it's been on this for a while, and you don't notice it, but a couple of years ago, it was at 8% penetration. Last year, we had 16% car penetration. This year, 32% of the cars that are going to be sold are going to be electric. So by 2030, that prediction is not, like, it's based on good math. I don't know if we're going to get there, but the math has held up for over a decade now, and I definitely think we're starting to see that. This is also the year, Harvard Business Review did a great article on this. I noticed it, a bunch of my colleagues started to notice it, but companies that for decades have been just lip service to triple bottom line environmental goals and social justice goals, this is the year they got real. Like all of a sudden things like ecosystem services that nobody wanted to put a value on, nobody wanted to pay for or care about, but everybody benefits from, suddenly companies are starting to say, oh, wow, we benefit from clean air. We benefit from healthy forests. <laughs> right, right. Right? I mean, like if you can't, I mean, like what took you so goddamn long? Okay. But right. Like, but but so now, that they're, now that they're right? there, um. If we go back to the Doomers' predictions, we were supposed to have gone under by about Look, now. And and what I'm asking is is for you to speculate with me that when each of these things is done, it's putting Doomsday off a little bit. Oh yeah, I you're. I mean, I've been writing books about this for years. I think that's absolutely correct. More with New York Times bestseller and award-winning journalist Stephen Kotler. Straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with New York Times bestseller and award-winning journalist Stephen Kotler straight ahead. Dean Kamen, the maverick inventor who won a National Medal of Technology and most famous for the Segway, but he's actually a medical inventor who's invented 500 different things, medical devices. He once pointed out in a lecture he gave on innovation that I attended that historically, if we can see the problem, meaning if our species can see the problem in advance, we tend to be able to solve it in advance. It's the stuff that we don't see coming that tends to kick our butt. Right. And and that's what I keep wondering is with all of the the advancements that are happening and with all of the talent that exists in this country and, and really in the world, I, I, I just can't help believing that now that people are starting to listen, starting to pay attention and starting to believe what they're hearing and seeing, that we have the ability to make the changes necessary to fix most of the things that have been predicted so far. So I'll give you an interesting, like, I can point to a couple things that say, hell yes, oh my God, look at this, and a couple things that, that I find <laughs> difficult. That say maybe not so much. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I am co-founder of something called the Forest Fire Collective, and we're individuals, organizations, and institutions trying to end catastrophic wildfire and restore forest health to the American West. And when we started this, one of the reasons we got started is because we saw so much innovation in the fire space, this, this field that had, nobody had innovated in fire and forest fire for 100 years. And suddenly there's all this innovation, and we started to realize that the market alone would probably solve this problem in about 25 years. The challenge is experts agree that if we cannot get forest health under control, the American West could burn to the ground within the next 10 to 15 years. And the experts are really in agreement on that number. Um, so it's sort of a race against time. So what the question is, with something like fire, we have the technology. It's already there in the science. The science has been done. It's the engineering that, that still has to happen. And can we that up. And that's sort of the question everywhere. Stephen, I, I want to ask you something about that, because uh, with with regard to fire, a certain amount of fire <clears throat> is actually supposed to happen and natural to happen to re, you know, to get new blood into the forests. Yep. And, and, and yet, at the same time, we can't let forests burn to the ground as you point out is there a, is there a formula for how much fire there should be i mean do you well, know how yeah, much fire there to is. stop yeah there <laughs> is so this is a great question fabulous question so yeah the reason we have a forest health problem is over the past hundred years we got really good at putting out forest fires and forest and fire is a natural part of the ecosystem so one of the coolest things coming back right now is and the, and the Native American tribes are leading this charge. Um, the tribes for decades and eons and centuries used to do prescribed burns. And so there's a huge movement starting in California but spreading across the country to bring back these prescribed burns and super helpful. What we're trying to do and what we're working on when I talk about market solutions, the real question is you have, you asked a question about like is there, uh, how much fire is good? 
when fuel loads stay below 59%, and when I say fuel loads, I'm talking about what they call high hazard fuels. These are second growth trees. These are like beetle killed. <laughs> it's it's not raking the leaves, right? It's not the it's not healthy. It's not the way forest. Healthy forest, you can actually drive a truck between the trees to get give you an idea of what a healthy forest actually looks like. There's that much space between the trees. Fuel loads across the American West are 60 to 90% density. So we got to get all the fuel loads below 59%, and then fires are controllable. They don't become catastrophic, and it's a, it's a very different story. So what we're trying to do is find ways to turn soft woody biomass, these high-hazard fuels, into products. You can use them for biofuel, bioenergy, bioplastics, um, on and on and on. There's all these amazing biochar, all these amazing uses for this soft wood. So what we're trying to do is help create a market for companies that turn soft wood into products. So suddenly there's a market impetus to get. Right now, lum- lumber companies don't do anything with this soft wood because it's not good for them. They can't. It's not what. It's not timber that they can use. So you have to sort of create a market, and then uh, then then sort of capitalism will do the rest and that's what we've been working on um can you and and, and i don't want to stay on it too long Stephen, because i want to get back to talking about the book but can you uh tell me just a little bit about the flow research collective absolutely um we are a research and training organization what we study is the neurobiology of peak human performance so what goes on in the brain and the body when human beings are performing at their absolute best, our work focuses on the state of consciousness known to researchers as flow. Flow is any of those in-the-zone moments. You get so focused on what you're doing on the task at hand that everything else just starts to disappear, and all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. So we study this in conjunction with like neuroscientists at Stanford and UCS, UCLA, USC, bunch of different places like that and then we use what we learn to train people and we train everybody from members of the u.s special forces and professional athletes through a ton of different fortune 500 companies to the general public and we work in 130 different countries so we work all over the world um which is really cool because we get to see you know what works for everybody literally Well, Stephen, I want to get back to talking about the book, and I suppose the the first thing that I I want to ask is about the title. Um, how, how does that title, The Devil's Dictionary, fit into the story that you're telling in this book? And um, uh, or or is or is it just an attention getter? <laughs> well, no, it's actually so two things. There's there is a book by Ambrose Bierce called The Devil's Dictionary. He was a Civil War journalist, and he spent 20 years composing an absolutely hysterical, satirical dictionary, fake definitions for terms, um, that was the original Devil's Dictionary. My book, oh, which is much funny. more themes, is uh, I've, I've sort of updated it, and I, and I play with the Ambrose Beer story a little bit, but if you know anything about environmentalism, you know that one of the largest drivers of species, uh, of species extinction is uh, exotic species, the birth of new species. They come in, they, they colonize territories, and they, they crush out the kind of the original inhabitants and a huge driver extinction. Doesn't so migration getting... do that a little bit, too? Well, migration is a natural flux that, you know, follows a, a natural pattern. It's not 
like a new predator that shows up that doesn't or a new that doesn't have any natural born predators in the area and then can devastate an ecosystem. Well, we've been in, running into problems with uh, Asian carp in the Great Lakes. Yeah, of course. That's exact. That's the per- so that's a perfect example. So the Devil's Dictionary. If you know, if you're following AI research and genetic research, you know we are starting to get AIs that are voice activated. You could say, okay, there's drug discovery AIs that you can speak to the AI and say, I need a new drug. I want it to do X and Y. I need it to be healthy in humans and not do this. And you literally, the AI will start the drug discovery process based on your voice commands. We also have AIs that are mixing up gene codes, doing what CRISPR is doing and creating new species. So in the not-too-distant future, we're going to have a voice recognition AI that allows you to create new species from scratch. And in uh, the book, new species start showing up in this giant national park that's sort of at the heart of the book. Um, and that's, that's sort of what kicks off the plot. And, but an AI that creates life from scratch is the Devil's Dictionary. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a, a diverse uh, Jurassic Park. Yes, a much more diverse. <laughs> and I'm not trying to oversimplify it, Stephen. I, I... No, that's totally that's totally fine. Jurassic Park's a fun. Michael Crichton's a fun writer. He does good science research, and his books move. What is it that you're? Well, first of all, can you give me uh, uh, just a little bit, without any spoiler alerts, uh, a, a synopsis? Of uh, of the book, The Devil's Dictionary, you yeah, can do it the, better than I can. The lead character is, is, a, is a guy named Lion Zorn. He's sort of the first of his kind. He's a new species, a fracturing of the human species. He's um, what I call an empathy tracker. He's born with a wildly expanded sense of empathy. So he can feel for all people, of course, but he also feels for plants and animals and ecosystems. And his empathy empathy isn't just individual, it's sort of cultural. So he can sort of feel how cultures collide and merge and the mashup and how it leads towards the future. And in a world 15 years from now, he's got a job, sort of like he's like the cool hunter of tomorrow. He's, he's hired by companies to sort of track trends into the future and see if, you know, these are good product lines. And he gets called in in the Devil's Dictionary, a company that's worked before on a very strange assignment, in this future that I've imagined. So today, in today's world, we've got billionaires, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, competing to get into space, right? In a world where we've solved our environmental challenges, I've got billionaires creating huge national parks and competing to have these giant wildland preserves. This is, by the way, not totally... uh, out of nowhere. It happened before Doug Tompkins, who founded this free, took all his money and used it to buy up huge swatches of chili to create a giant national park. So we've seen this before. I just roll it forward into the future and blow it up. And what happens is new species, never seen before on Earth, along with some dead bodies, start showing up at one of these billionaire-funded national parks. And our hero, Lion Zorn, the empathy tracker, gets called in to figure out what's going on and to see if this trend leads anywhere good. And that's where the story starts. The, uh, this empathy concept um, is, is something you talk about, not just in the book, but that it's um, really sort of critical for 
people um, being able to reach their peak performance, that it's an element that they need to have. And I, I guess where I want to go with this is, what is it that you're hoping readers will come away from the book with? Or is it um, just uh, pure entertainment with a um, a lighter-hearted uh, future? So I the theme of the book and what I'm hoping to really, the, the shift I'm interested in is what I term empathy for all. So this is the ability to feel empathy for all humans, of course, but also for plants, animals, and ecosystems. And this is sort of fundamental for a lot of different reasons. But if you there's, there's almost 70 years of psychology that says most people don't see and perceive the natural world at all. So one of the reasons psychologists think we're in the big climate mess we're in is because most of us don't actually see, perceive, and care about the natural world. Um, it's because we have what's called the sphere of caring. And for most of us, it's like friends and family and maybe, you know, people who live in our, our town, our tribe. Um, but it doesn't extend beyond the border of species, and it usually doesn't extend to all people, right? But empathy uh, is what widens our sphere of caring. And once we widen our sphere of caring, it unlocks perception. So by living in a world where, like, we live in boxes. We stare at screens all day. So we live in boxes. We stare at boxes. The brain says, oh, shit, box world is what's important. And it starts filtering out everything else. So you don't get to see and perceive or care about the natural world. Empathy, when we are empathetic towards something, the brain goes, oh, wow, this is important. And you start getting information about that stuff. So stuff that was perceptually invisible suddenly starts to become more visible. Empathy is how that works. Empathy is one of those, it is baked into human performance because when we are in flow, a lot of different things are maximized. Learning rates and productivity and motivation, focus, and a lot of things go through the roof. Empathy also expands naturally. It happens naturally. Time spent in flow is one way to naturally increase empathy. In fact, at the Flow Research Collective, after the, uh, the events of George Floyd, basically, a lot of law enforcement agencies in America started to realize that empathy really mattered, right? They wanted the, they wanted police making better decisions, less fearful reactionary decisions. And to do that, you need empathy. And so we've been doing a lot of uh, flow training of law enforcement agencies because empathy comes built in with flow. So all the stuff I'm sort of writing about in the book is stuff that, you know, I sort of research on the peak performance side and I've just put into a fictional world in a, in a slightly different way. Stephen, is there more empathy and uh, awareness of nature in Eastern philosophies and religions, or have we gone blind to nature globally? Okay, so you're asking a really interesting question that I can't. The big question you just answered asked, I can't answer. And well, I'm I not trying to put you on the spot at all, Stephen. No. I'm just curious, uh, you know, no, what your thought would question. be. I would be inclined to say yes, and the reason is this. A lot of Eastern religions have, I mean, we do this in some Western religions, but it's baked into a lot of like Tibetan Buddhism, for example. Loving-kindness meditation is built in to uh, a lot of Buddhist practices. And loving-kindness meditation is another way besides flow to expand empathy and empathy for the natural world. So if you have 
religious traditions that value meditation and mindfulness, you probably will end up with greater empathy. I don't know if that's 100% true, but we know know that meditation and mindfulness practices lowers cognitive bias and tends to increase empathy. So religions and cultures that are steeped in religions that have those practices could theoretically, for those reasons, have more empathy. I have no idea if you're right, but I can make an argument for why you would be right. Well, I was just wondering if it if it wasn't helpful on the path to empathy to um, for for Westerners to open themselves up a little bit to some of the uh, writings of the Eastern philosophers and and uh, religions. I you know I I think in empathy in general reading you know reading perspectives that are not your own it's foundational right empathy is about perspective taking it's seeing things from um multiple perspectives other people's perspectives and anything that you can do that expands your knowledge and awareness of the fact that you're not your perspective is not the only viable perspective in the world and that you know other people think things and believe things and you know what I mean like that's really useful for cultivating empathy and multi-perspectival thinking and what we uh what psychologists term wisdom which is a sort of measurable brain trait we know what wisdom is it's a real thing um and it directly correlates to uh empathy among other things you know I've been pushing um and promoting respect and you know, I can remember telling my kids to have respect for everyone and everything. And it's, but I hadn't really thought about it in empathetic terms. And I'm fascinated well, by this. Well, empathy is literally, so I'm interested in, if you really want to infect change, we're, you know, for biological reasons, we're kind of lazy. We don't like to change. <laughs> we, don't, we really don't like to change. So I like things that automatically do the work for us. So what's interesting about loving-kindness meditation, and there are just Google loving-kindness meditations. There's tons of versions online. And this is a form of meditation that has been extremely well-studied. My alma mater, Richard Davidson at the University of Wisconsin, has done, you know, tons of brain imaging work on this form of meditation and we you know we sort of know what it does and how it does it and it does empathy is is sort of it's the part of your brain known as the temporal parietal junction is where a lot of empathy takes place and time and meditation automatically changes this part of the brain you don't have to do anything for it whereas respect is a top-down executive prefrontal cortex thing so like you have to be you have to learn respect in a sense Whereas empathy happens more automatically, it serves a survival evolutionary function. So it's, it's, it, it does the work for you a little bit. I still think the respect and the knowledge matters, but I think empathy is probably the more powerful trigger because um, it serves a deeper evolutionary purpose. I, no, I get that, and and I'm I'm fascinated by this conversation, and I I, I knew it was going to go by fast, and we're almost out of time. But um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, and about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, of course, the uh, 
the name of the book, uh, The Devil's Dictionary uh, by Stephen Kotler, is uh, probably a great place to start. But, Stephen, do you have a, a, uh, a website or, or other resources that you'd like to share? For sure. You can find more about me at stephencotler.com, S-T-E-V-E-N-K-O-T-L-E-R.com. Or the Flow Research Collective, if you're interested in the work on flow and peak performance, that's flowresearchcollective.com. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom. It was a pleasure. Have a good day. All right. Take care. Again, Stephen Kotler. The book is The Devil's Dictionary. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight in. For a while, so I'll be staying here inside. It's too dangerous out in the world. I'll see you on the other side. But when I'm in my quarantine, in my little place too high, my heart is aching and I'm missing you. I'll see you on the other side. Hello there, citizens. 
Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney General and we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'd like to do a uh, song from a Broadway show. The show is Paint Your Wagon, and the song is I Talk to the Trees. stars but they never hear me the breeze hasn't time the breeze hasn't time to stop and hear what i hear say what i say i talk to them all. i talk to them all in vain but suddenly my suddenly Stupid song. <laughs> Every time that I that yeah, I hear you sing time. that song, I think it. Boy, what a stupid song. Yeah, yeah. Think it, but you really pick a fine time to tell me about it. Well, I wanted to surprise you. No, oh. yeah. you just succeeded. You surprised me. But for your information. Talk to the Trees is not stupid. It's, it's from stupid. a hit Broadway show entitled Paint Your Wagon, which was a great show. A lot of great songs. Paint Your Wagon? <laughs> it's yeah. a stupid, sounds like a stupid show and a stupid song. And it's a dumb, and anybody connected with a show or a song like that has got to be a stupid, dumb, weirdo freak. All right, I agree with you. The show happens to be about a young man very much like yourself. Maybe I spoke a little hastily. It's about a young man very much like my brother. He's young and shy and bashful, very timid, but he's so much in love. That, that makes everything all right. He was so much in love, it was his first love. But he was so bashful that he was afraid to tell his sweetheart that he loved her and she knew not of his love. But he had to tell someone or something because it, this frustration, this terrible feeling was building up within him. and. Finally, he did a very beautiful thing. He went out to the Did he tell country. her that he loved her? No. He never did. He wished he could. He wished he had the courage to walk up to her and take her by the hand and look deeply into her eyes and say very simply and truthfully, I love you. I love you very much. And I only hope that one day you may grow to love me half as much as I love you right now. I will. Because I... <laughs> That's just enough. But he couldn't do that. So one day he went out in the countryside and he tried to communicate with Mother Nature's wise old trees and, and talk to these trees and tell these marvels of nature, these wise old trees of his great love. guy's love, a real nut. <laughs> no, he's not a nut. Sneaking off into the forest to talk to the trees. <laughs> Tommy, that's not what he did. Hi there, Mr. Tree. How are you? How's Mrs. Tree? <laughs> All the little bushes. <laughs> guy like that Tommy. would talk to a fire hydrant. Fire Hi there, Firehide. I've just been talking to this big old tree over here. <laughs> Certainly have a lot in common, you two. <laughs> All right, now that is just enough. Tommy, 
don't you understand at all? Just a second. Hi there, stage. Used to be a tree, didn't you? <laughs> you are a very shallow, callow individual. You have made fun of this song. You haven't even tried to understand. Who's your fat friend? <laughs> Used to be a tree, didn't you, fatty? <laughs> Will you leave my base See what alone. Happens? You hang around with the wrong type of people. Shut up! You really should be proud of yourself. Really, you should be very proud of yourself. You stood up here and you ridiculed me. You ridiculed this song. You ridiculed a wonderful show. And, it's, and you think everybody's proud of you out there. You think they're all looking up there and say, Oh, why? Isn't he a sharp, clever boy? No, they're all staring at you. They're staring and wondering. And they've, you know what you've shown them? You've shown them how crass, how shallow, how unfeeling an individual can be, how totally void of any poetic beauty in your entire makeup, your entire soul. You didn't understand the song? You ridiculed me and you've come down a, a you notch or two. That's you, all I've got to say. You... You what? Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't care what you do now. You didn't like... Go ahead. You talked, you talked mean to me and, and you said that I didn't have any sensitivity and I was a crass, shallow person. I happen to be a person too, Dickie, and I have sensitivity and I have feeling and I have love in my heart. I'm sensitive to every little blade of grass that grows. But I wouldn't talk to him. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
lovely things And your heart will fly on wings To never, never Yeah. 
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 